Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you all the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Okay, so it's Trinity Sunday. And we just talked a little bit about the Trinity, uh, but it's still difficult to talk about the Trinity. And because it's difficult to talk about the Trinity and because it doesn't quite make sense, we often don't talk about the Trinity in the life of the church. We'll, we'll talk about the Trinity insofar as it's part of the liturgy, like in our communion or baptism liturgy, or insofar as it's part of the hymns, uh, like the hymns that we've, uh, that we've sung today and still have to sing. Uh, but to actually talk about the triune God, three in one and one in three, it doesn't quite make sense. And so, We've tried to have it make sense over the years. Uh, we've used many different analogies to try to make sense of the Trinity. How on earth we have Father, Spirit, and Son, one God, but three persons, but not three, but also three, but one, but three. Doesn't make sense. So we use metaphors, uh, which is, you know, it's how we make sense of life. The, uh, the root of the word metaphor uh, coming from the Latin means to, to find a way, to have a way. Uh, so that's metaphors try to get us there. So one of the most common metaphors that we use for the Trinity is water. There's uh, my science diagram. Anybody remember this from uh, life sciences and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, so water has three different forms. Uh, it can be a solid, like ice cubes. I'm one of those weird persons, people, who don't like ice in my beverages. I like lukewarm beverages. I know, super weird that way. So I don't, I don't deal with this whole water in solid form thing that often. But it does come in a solid form, ice. It also comes in the more common liquid form. That's, you know, 70% of our world, 70% of our bodies. We have a lot of liquid. Uh, forms of water. And then we have the gaseous form, the vapor form of water. Uh, when it evaporates, heats up to a certain temperature. It gets uh, vaporous, vaporized, if you will. Uh, there is a fourth elemental state, if you remember this from, uh, from these science classes, plasma. Water can't go to plasma. I don't know why that is, it's just weird that way. Uh, so we have three different modes of water. Ice, liquid, uh, water, liquid, and steam, the vapor, gas. And so this, has, this analogy has been used to describe the Trinity many times over. And it's wrong. <laughs> this actually is what's called a heresy. Uh, and by the way, a heresy isn't like something demonic or anything like that. A heresy just means it's not right. 
<laughs> it's wrong. Uh, because what this is saying, uh, if we were to apply this to, to the Trinity, is that the Father in the Holy Spirit has one mode of existence. The Son in the Holy Spirit has another mode of existence. And the Holy Spirit has another mode of existence. And that's not true. They all have the exact same mode of existence. They all have the exact same substance. They all are the exact same, but yet there are three. And so this heresy is called modalism. Do you see where it comes from? Modalism, yeah, mode. <laughs> uh, so we don't talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of water because, well, that's a heresy. Another uh, popular analogy that came about was with the sun. And it was said that the three members of the Trinity are like the Son. You have God the Father, who is the source, the Son, uh, the fireball that is a gas giant in our solar system, that that would be like the Father, that the rays of light that come from the Son uh, are, are the Son, S-O-N, <laughs> Um, yeah, that's going to get confusing, right? Uh, because the idea was that Jesus comes from the Father. The Son comes from the Father. And so the rays of light are meant to be that. And then the heat that we feel from the Son is like the Holy Spirit. Because the heat comes from the Son, the Father. The rays of light, the Son. These two are different. Uh, and the heat is like the Holy Spirit. However, guess what? Ooh, you just, somebody just said the word. Yeah, George, what's it called? Heresy, heresy yeah! <laughs> it's a heresy, it's wrong. Uh, this is actually what's called Arianism. And Ari, what's that? Oh yeah, <laughs> Arianism. Arianism is this idea that the uh, sun emanates from the Father, and the Holy Spirit emanates from the Father and Son, that the two are created by the Father. And that's also not true. They are all three eternal. They are one. Not one from another, but all from one. Does it making sense yet? Good. It's not supposed to. So, Arianism. The sun is also wrong. Now, here's probably the most common. The three-leaf clover. Now, there was a man uh, that we celebrate, you know, around the March time. Anybody know who I'm talking about? The leprechaun. <laughs> yeah. St. Patrick. St. Patrick brought Christianity to Ireland and used the three-leaf clover as a way to describe the Trinity to the people there, saying that th there are three petals that make up a three-leaf clover. And this petal over here is like the Father, and this petal over here is like the Son, and this petal over here is like the Holy Spirit. And there are three petals, but alone, by themselves, they are not a three-leaf clover. If you pull off one of the petals, it's no longer a three-leaf clover. The three-leaf clover requires all three petals to be there for it to be the three-leaf clover. And the three-leaf clover is made up of each of these three parts. Guess what? 
Heresy, <laughs> that's right. What's that? It has a stem, that's right. Uh, this, this heresy is known as partialism. Now, I don't expect you to remember all these words like modalism, Arianism, and partialism. That's, I mean, unless you just really want to. But partialism says that, uh, that each member of the Trinity is a part of the Trinity. And each member of the Trinity is a part of God. And that's not true. Each member of the Trinity is fully God. Each member of the Trinity is fully itself. And it, the Trinity cannot be subdivided into parts. So, partialism. Wrong. Okay, well, there, there are a handful of other heresies out there that are used to talk about this, but I'm not going to go into all of those. Just wanted to cover the, the most common. Um, and so, what we see here is that the Trinity can't actually be understood by human reason or logic, and our metaphors are always going to fall short. So then, how do we even talk about the Trinity? Are you ready for it? I promise we're not going to be too heady the whole time. We're just laying a foundation here, and then we'll get out of all the academia of it all. But the way that we can most effectively, and even this is still not perfect, the way that we can most effectively talk about the Trinity is in what's called the Athanasian Creed. Now, for whatever reason, we don't use this creed, but a creed is just a statement of belief. This is something that we believe. And the Athanasian Creed is adopted into, the, into uh, Protestant and Catholic churches. Uh, it's similar to the Apostles' Creed, but it's a lot longer. And so I'm only going to read you half of it. But hear what the Athanasian Creed has to say about the Trinity. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither blending the persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the, soul, the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable. The Son is immeasurable. The Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet, there are not three beings, but there is one eternal being. So too, there are not three uncreated or unmeasurable beings, but there is one uncreated, unmeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty. The Son is almighty. The Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet, there are not three almighty beings, but there is one almighty being. Thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, but there is one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords, but there is one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord, so Catholic religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. 
The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father and not three fathers. There is one Son and not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So, in everything, as was said earlier, we must worship their trinity in unity and their unity in trinity. That's only half of it. Can you see why we don't say this creed in worship? <laughs> Take the whole worship service. <laughs> and now I must ask, does it make sense? Good, it's not supposed to. <laughs> and I said before, this is, the, this is the most accurate way that we have to describe the Trinity. And it's still not good enough. In other words, what we have here is this revelation that the Trinity cannot be understood by human reason because God is always, will always be above our reasoning. So, if we cannot fully comprehend the Trinity, why should we even think about God as three in one? What's the point? It's just maddening. We'll never fully understand it. Every metaphor we have is going to fall short. Any attempt that we make to try to understand the Trinity isn't going to be fully right. So why do we even try? This is where we actually get into the meat of it all. Because the answer lies in the implication of the Trinity. What the very notion of three and one and one and three, Trinity and unity and unity and Trinity means for us as humanity. So I want to tell you a story. It's perhaps one of my favorite stories of all time uh, because it happened to me, of course. Uh, but this story happens, uh, takes place on June 25th, 2016. And this just happened to be the wonderful day that I got to marry the best person on the face of the planet. Her name's Kristen Curtis Wright. She's a pastor at Ashland Place United Methodist Church. She's also preaching on the Trinity today. And on this day, it, I, I must admit, uh, I didn't expect to be as relaxed as I felt on our wedding day. Uh, but everything just kind of went off without a hitch. I don't feel like that happens for everybody. But like everything went perfectly for our wedding day. There wasn't a single thing that was out of step, and we got through the entire wedding ceremony, and it was gorgeous, and we had so many of our beloved people there. Oh, it was just phenomenal. We're actually going to be at that very same church we got married in uh, later on this uh, tomorrow evening for uh, the ordination and commissioning service, and it, everything was just perfect that day. And then came the reception. And I must admit, I don't remember hardly anything about the reception. Uh, I promise I didn't have too much to drink. That wasn't the reason. Uh, it was rather because it was just a lot of people coming up and saying, we're so happy for you. So I don't remember hardly anything other than two things. One, the champagne bottle was slippery and, and I almost dropped it and shattered our champagne bottle. Uh, and two, that was the first thing I remember. The second thing I remember was our first dance. 
So we came into the reception venue and we were welcomed by one of our friends who is emceeing for us. His name is Miles. And he welcomed us in as a married couple and we stood on the dance floor together and our song uh, was the uh, cliche and far too popular Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. And there we stood on the dance floor and I held her like this and she held me like this and we just kind of danced. It wasn't anything choreographed. We did have a choreographed dance that came after our first dance and that was a lot of fun. But our first dance was just us talking to each other, talking about how excited we are about all that had happened, just being in the moment, right there, dancing. And the music played and we realized that the song Thinking Out Loud is a very long song to have as your first dance. And we talked about that for a time. But it was just the two of us on the dance floor, and it didn't matter that everybody else was creepily staring at us having our first dance. That's a weird part of weddings, by the way, but it's something we do. Everybody's just kind of watching, and, and we're just dancing and swaying and taking steps here and there, but it was just us. This moment right here, one of the happiest moments of my life, because everything was just in perfect harmony for one moment. Now, what does this have to do with the Trinity? Well, it comes in two different parts. The first is that in order for us to understand the Trinity, we must understand a very particular word. And that word is relationship. Relationship is the word that we have to have in order to fully understand the Trinity. And even then, we're not going to fully understand, but we must use this word. It's the key. And most particularly is the fallacy that a relationship only exists between one person and another. Relationship, in fact, is its own third party. And here's what I mean by that. See, we often succumb to this, uh, to what's known as the illusion of binaries. Has anybody ever heard this phrase before, the illusion of binaries? It's the notion that there are only two options in life. Only two options for you to choose from. You're either Republican or you're Democrat. You're either Bama or you're War Eagle. And let me tell you which one you should be. <laughs> we either have good or we have evil. We either have you must make a right turn or you must make a left turn. We either have the North Pole or the South Pole, right? We have this illusion of binaries, that there are only two options. And we set this up for ourselves because we know that there are more than just those two options. We know that, you know, whether we uh, acknowledge them or not, there's more than just the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Or did you know that? Did you know that? They, they actually do exist. We just don't vote for them for whatever reason. Uh, there are more than two parties. There are more than just Alabama and Auburn football. I think. <laughs> I think there are. They don't matter, but they're there. <laughs> you can make more than just a left turn or a right turn. You can go straight. You can stay still. You can turn upward or you can turn downward. I know that sounds weird and it doesn't work when you're in a car, but you can. There are more than just these two binaries. It's this beautiful notion that, uh, that binaries are false. They don't, we, we set up this illusion for ourselves. Binaries, this notion of only two options, is false. Instead, we belong in a world of ternaries. 
And ternaries is what we call the law of three. That there's more than just two. And the easiest way to explain the uh, law of three, or ternaries, is with uh, mine and Kristen's wedding dance. You see, as we were standing there in this moment, uh, everything's working out perfectly and in harmony, we're dancing together and just talking to each other, there was a third entity present in that dance. It's going to sound weird, but bear with me for a second. And that third entity is our relationship. There was Kristen, there was myself, and right there with us in that moment, our relationship. And here's what I mean, and you probably acknowledge this without actually acknowledging it, if maybe you have a friend. Anybody here have friends? <laughs> no, please don't look at me. Uh, maybe, you have, maybe you have siblings. Maybe you have a partner or a spouse somebody else in our lives. Maybe you're sitting in proximity to another human being right now. Okay, that's it. We can all raise our hands for that when we're in some kind of proximity there. Uh, we, are, we have this relationship that sits between us and another person. And it's this relationship that is itself its own entity. And we know this because a relationship can grow, and a relationship can, uh, can disintegrate, just like a person can. A relationship can be healthy, a relationship can be unhealthy. And uh, we, we can look at this through uh, Gary Chapman's five love languages. Anybody familiar with that expression? Yeah, a couple of people, yeah. Uh, Gary Chapman, fascinatingly weird human being, uh, identified that there are five different ways that we communicate our love to uh, other people and we receive love. Uh, quality time, uh, giving gifts, physical touch, words of affirmation, and acts of service. Now if we look at each of these five, we can see that these things don't just simply affect me or the person that I'm in a relationship with, whether a friend, partner, spouse, uh, sibling, person I'm in proximity with, they affect more than just myself and the other individual. They affect the relationship. If I spend quality time with a person, the relationship is enhanced. If I never talk to a person, never spend time with them there, the relationship crumbles. If I do kind things for another person, that relationship is enhanced. If there is only hatred and animosity between us, that relationship crumbles. So between each individual and a person that they are in a relationship with, spouse, partner, sibling, friend, proximate, proximal entity, uh, we have the relationship. Now, some of you have, are closer together to another person. Some of you are further apart from another person right now. And right in between that space from you and the next person is the relationship. And that space can tell a lot about the relationship. Uh, so the relationship, if you'll bear with me for a little bit longer, is what breaks the binaries of a relationship being between me and another person. Our interactions are not just solely based on me or the other person, but also 
they are based on the relationship and to seek the good of the relationship if you're in a harmonious uh, relationship. This tells us that there is more than just the, bi the binary experience, there is the ternary experience, that there is the law of three, that there is a third entity. Now, be warned, this is not a good metaphor for the Trinity. This is another heresy. It's called, well, this is the same heresy we talked about with uh, water. It's modalism, that there are three different modes of existence. This is not a good metaphor for the Trinity. Instead, what it does is, is it demonstrates the importance of the relationship in the Trinity as an active part of our world. The key to the Trinity is relationship. However, it's a very particular kind of relationship. Now, I'm going to introduce one more weird word today. We'll round this all out. And that's the word perichoresis. Perichoresis. This word, uh, ooh, yes, Becky knows what that means, yeah. Uh, perichoresis is the word that uh, comes from two different words in the Latin. Peri, which means uh, around, like a perimeter, around, peri, and curios, which is the word to go. So perichoresis means to go around. But most specifically, uh, the way we see this is that the word perichoresis is the word from which we get our English word choreography, as in a dance. So perichoresis means to go around as in a dance. This is how the Trinity exists to go around in a dance. And I don't mean a kind of dance that is like uh, semi-modern dancing, like uh, classical dancing, ballroom dancing. This is where one, part, one of the partners leads the other. Uh, this is a more uh, ancient and traditional form of dancing, where instead of a person leading the other in the dance, it's simply each person in the dance making room for the other. Now you see this uh, most commonly with, uh, with different forms of line dances. Anybody here ever done the cha-cha uh, slide? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, maybe the Macarena. Yeah, so <laughs> in these line dances, you'll notice, and next time you're at a wedding, this is where they happen all the time, uh, take note of your position on the floor. Okay, because if you're doing the cha-cha slide, you're going to slide to the left. And guess what? The other person who's over here is also going to be sliding to their left. And suddenly they're going to be in the space that you were just in. And then you're going to slide to the right. And the other person's going to slide to the right. And suddenly you're back in that spot or the position that they were just in. This kind of choreography is about making room for other people. Uh, the dance that Krista and I uh, were in whenever for our first dance, dancing to Thinking Out Loud, we weren't in any way choreographed to where I'm leading her, she's leading me. It was just simply making room for one another in our space. We might take a few steps this way and a few steps this way and a few steps this way because we have to turn around the entire room because everybody wants to see us, our smiling faces and all that stuff. We're making room for one another. This is the way that we can most, uh, this is the, what I, what I guess we could say is the uh, most helpful metaphor for defining the Trinity. Kind of like a circular line dance. Uh, that each member is going around in a motion and making room for the other members of the Trinity. 
It's never about one entity trying to take the stage, but rather it's about each entity making room, giving space, allowing the other to come in. And it's this beautiful flow, and everything just kind of works. As you'll notice next time you're in a line dance, that the person who's trying to make the most of a scene and is trying to get the most attention, they're going to be the person who's bumping into everybody else because they're not making room for everybody else. So my challenge for us today is to take a lesson from the Trinity, to make room for one another. This is, I, I told you at the beginning, that it's not very helpful for us to try to describe the Trinity, because we're always going to be wrong. Every metaphor we come up with, every way we seek to describe the Trinity, it's going to be wrong. Even the Athanasian Creed isn't perfect. It misses a lot of stuff. So instead, the importance of our acceptance of the Trinity is about the implications it has for humanity, what we can learn from it. The Trinity is in perfect harmony, God three in one and one in three, because of the relationship because each member is making room for one another. Now I must ask each and every one of us, in what ways are we not making room for someone else in our world? Because that's the lesson that the Trinity has for us, to make room, to make space for another, to make space for all of humanity and the relationship between us to exist in this whole harmonious existence, what the uh, Jewish people call shalom, this wholeness, harmony, completeness, things as they were intended to be, this kind of existence as the Trinity between me and you and our relationship, between you and them and your relationship. We are called to make room for one another. And if there's any lesson that we can take from Trinity Sunday, it's the lesson of making room, of making space, of being a part of the divine dance. Let us pray.